The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today, I want to continue with the theme we did a couple weeks ago when we brought forward some of the predictions and projections of Pat Buchanan. Uh, he was Pat Buchanan was in the 1990s and was projecting so many things today in terms of the cultural war that we're going on in today's world, as well as many of the other current event activities that he was anticipating and he was projecting. It was very informative. Today, I want to take and bring another figure in, a political figure in that is one of the great thinkers of our time, and that's Newt Gingrich. Now, I've had the great privilege of working with Newt. I want to give some background that maybe listeners of this program um, might find uh, of some interest. Uh, it involved many years of my life. Uh, I got, first got to know uh, Speaker Gingrich in 1991. He had a group in Atlanta that he represented the, um, uh, the district there as the U.S. Uh, House representative. And he had a group called Friends of New Gingrich, or FONG, F-O-N-G. And a friend of mine asked me to join him because many of the events that he had to speak to um, his audiences and his fundraisers and such, they, um, they were in very nice homes. People would um, host his events. And so I joined mainly, um, while I was a supporter of Nude, I joined mainly because I wanted to see these fancy homes, and I was in the process of looking for a place and dreaming about places, and most of the ones that I saw were beyond my uh, financial um, capability, but it was fun to go and visit them with my wife. So we did that, and one of the main events after sort of participating in these um, these periodic events that he would have uh, was in 1994. In 1994, uh, there was an election going on, and I had been following Newt by these uh, interactions we had, and I realized that something special was about to happen. I was sitting in Chicago, Illinois, at a PricewaterhouseCoopers partners meeting, and by the way, many of those partners are very liberal because they like big government and new laws because it, re- it generates work for consultants and organizations like that. And um, I, I got up and left early uh, in the afternoon uh, to take a flight back to Atlanta. And people said, why are you leaving? I said, I'm going to go watch a revolution. And they kind of laughed at me. But I knew that Newt had been putting together a strategy with his contract uh, with America and his um, teachings at Kennesaw State College about uh, renewing civilization. So I left that day. And strangely enough, the person that many of you see on TV today, um, uh, Sean Hannity, was hosting an event at the Galleria, and he was um, hosting the event for the election night in um, uh, 1994. And I took my daughter there because I said, there's going to be a revolution. And sure enough, uh, that is when the Republicans, with Newt's leadership, took over the House of Representatives. And most of you may not remember this, but in 1994, they took over the House of Representatives for the first time in 50 years. Now, that's hard to imagine that the Democrats had control of the U.S. House of Representatives for 50 years because 
in recent times, it's been going back and forth every few years. But uh, when Newt was first elected in 1978 as a representative from the 6th District of Georgia, uh, he went to Congress, and there was a, um, a Representative Michaels there uh, who was the minority leader, and he really had no interest in becoming a majority because you understand that in the House of Representatives, if you're in the minority, you really don't have to do anything. You got a nice title, uh, you got a nice position, uh, you can say you're representing, you know, a district in, in your state. Uh, but in terms of passing legislation, moving legislation, creating legislation, doing something positive, you really have very little effect except to go along when the Democrats propose something that uh, you might be in agreement with. Well, Newt's first challenge to the Speaker Michaels at the time was, how do we become a majority? And Michaels said, um, you know, nobody really had asked that question much. And here is this newcomer from Georgia saying, how do we get in the majority? And he basically says, well, I don't know, Newt. Why don't you take on that challenge and figure out how to do it? Well, it took a long time until 1994 uh, when Newt was able to actually put together a foundation of ideas, of thoughts, of leadership, of showing uh, how bright and brilliant uh, he was in terms of what the Republican Party could and should do, how it should position itself in order to uh, become uh, an acceptable majority to the people in the country and, and get Republicans elected. Well, he did that in 1994, and I was there when all that happened. Now, I got to be friends with Newt over many years. Uh, he had me appointed to a couple of commissions, study commissions that he wanted information on, like Medicare. And we actually had a big impact uh, with a study commission we put together in 1996, 1997 that I chaired. And he even showed our document on one of the, um, the Sunday morning TV shows that, uh, indicating how grassroots people can get involved and actually make an impact and bring new ideas to Washington. So we developed a pretty good friendship back and forth, and I was a big supporter of Newt uh, while he was Speaker. And in 1998, um, he decided that he should resign from Congress. And the Republicans stayed in control, but only by a few extra votes. But he took that as an indication that it was sort of his time to leave. So here's a background story that maybe some of the listeners out there might find of interest. With the relationship I had had with him for several years, and it wasn't a strong one, but he knew me and I knew him, and he had asked me for help at various times. Uh, between the election and his announcement uh, that he was going to retire, uh, January 3rd, I think the date was, after the election, uh, and he was reelected, by the way, at that point, so he didn't have to retire, but um, he... Um, uh, I met him at one of those gatherings that he would have at somebody's house, the Fong meeting, the Friends of Newt Gingrich. And I had read in the paper that Newt was going to retire and wanted to get into healthcare. Well, that's my background, basically, was healthcare. I was a retired partner, uh, healthcare partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So I saw Newt at one of the Christmas gatherings, and I said to him, I see that you're going to retire and you want to get into healthcare. Um, I know you know I work for PricewaterhouseCoopers, but I'm not an accountant. I'm an actuary. I'm in charge of a healthcare practice. If you have any interest in uh, how to um, establish a consulting operation, how to uh, you know approach clients, how to do pricing, uh, all the aspects of running a consulting business, I'll be glad to talk to you. 
And he said, thank you. And um, and about uh, two or three weeks later, between Christmas and New Year's, lo and behold, I get a call. And that call was from Speaker Gingrich. He said, Ron, why don't you come down to my office and um, and help me out while I'm trying to think through what I do after I leave Congress. So sure enough, I get up and I go down uh, during that uh, week between Christmas and New Year's. And I walk into his office and he's got all these um, sheets of paper scattered all over the room. And he's got strengths and weaknesses and pros and cons and and uh, opportunities and threats all around. And he says, I'm trying to figure out where I go next. Uh, I kind of feel like Indiana Jones uh, looking for a new adventure. And he said, I think I want to do um, a global leadership um, uh, military uh, training or uh, uh, teaching. And I want to do either healthcare or education. He said, I think I want to do healthcare uh, because I'm not sure I really want to deal with teachers' unions at this point in time. So we worked through that, and he decided to focus on healthcare as one of his three uh, big issues that he wanted to uh, do in his uh, post political uh, realm. So from that standpoint, um, we moved forward, and I said, you know, Newt, you need to attach yourself to an organization that is big enough for you, and PricewaterhouseCoopers is worldwide. You don't want to become a partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers because there's too many politically correct things that would be required, and you need to be able to speak openly and honestly and bluntly like you normally do. So why don't we develop a an affiliation? Uh, I will set you up in uh, in offices in Atlanta and in Washington, D.C., and you'll have a desk, you'll have a phone, you'll have uh, a copy machine, you'll have fax machines, you'll have everything it takes uh, to run a business. And um, we wound up um, uh, making that relationship uh, work, and he set up offices in Atlanta, and some of his other folks set up offices in Washington, D.C. So it was a very um, uh, constructive relationship. He had one condition. He said, I do not want to do lobbying for any legislation at the federal uh, level in particular because I'm not a lobbyist. I don't want to be registered as a lobbyist. And um, and we made that agreement. He would not act in any way, shape, or form as a lobbyist. Uh, he had he had to do something because he had given up his several million dollar uh, allocation for office space and running a business as an ex speaker of the house. So that's why he wanted to set up some sort of consulting operation. So we had a very very uh, successful relationship where I would bring uh, many of our experts into a room. Uh, they would sit down and talk to Newt about their own uh, concerns with their clients and because these are very high-level partners he was talking to. And he would give them great advice and and, um, and goals and objectives on how to improve their business. It was very successful. Newt had some of his own relationships he was developing. But I'll tell you uh, one sort of fascinating story as we wrap up this segment. Uh, one day he called me. Uh, into my office, and um, he said, Ron, I'm sorry, I won't be able to make that meeting tomorrow. And I said, well, that's fine, Newt. Uh, what's up? He said, well, Margaret Thatcher called, and she wants to meet with me. And I'm like, okay, Newt, that's a whole different world that he walks in that uh, that I'm not familiar with. So um, I was glad to uh, give him the time and space to meet with uh, Margaret Thatcher. They are very close, obviously, very strong conservatives, one uh, in Great Britain and one in the United States. So 
it was a fascinating experience for me. I learned a lot from uh, Newt and uh, and the staff that he brought on board and the political insights that he had. We had a lot of good discussions. I traveled with him in a number of uh, trips uh, to California and to Washington, D.C. Uh, it was a great relationship that lasted for um, many years until um, uh, a little after I retired in 2005. But then my role changed, and I will tell you about that in the next segment, because this background story on Nude and what he was trying to do and what his interests were, I think, might be of some interest uh, to people in the audience. So stay tuned, and I want to tell you a little bit more around the background. And then I want to also uh, go back in time and listen to some of his predictions that he made back around 2008, uh, where this country is going, some of the problems and some of the solutions that he was suggesting. So stay tuned. We'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and today we are giving some background in history and my personal experiences with uh, former speaker Newt Gingrich, one of the great minds of our time, the great conservative thinker, and a just an all-around um, good fellow to listen to, uh, mentors, Others, I certainly learned a lot from him, and I'm grateful for the time that I spent. So I wanted to use this podcast, this presentation, this radio presentation for America's Web Radio to sort of give some insight to a few of the stories and interactions. And then I want to go back to 19, uh, or excuse me, to 2009 and give some insights to the predictions and projections that New Gingrich had at that point that is very much on point of the issues that we're facing today uh, more than 10 years later. So I promised in the last segment I would talk about a few more of the stories, the sort of the the next page, if you will, in the relationship that I was fortunate enough uh, to have with Newt. So after uh, we developed this affiliation with PricewaterhouseCoopers, where he could go anywhere in the world, we would have offices in every major city. Um, We set them up in 
offices in Atlanta, where he lived at the time. And also, he had some staff in Washington, D.C., so we set him up in offices in Washington, D.C., and paid him for some of his time and advice uh, that excluded the the uh, need for any um, lobbying. He was adamant about not doing any lobbying. But other than that, he was very helpful in talking to our existing partners and some of their clients and providing um, guidance and support for projects and understanding legislation that he may have been involved in uh, years ago, but also uh, to uh, help them uh, sort of navigate some of those uh, difficult channels and helping their own clients. But as we move forward um, in this relationship, he developed an organization called the Center for Health Transformation, and that was established around 2005, and I helped him establish that. In fact, I think other than uh, Nancy Desmond, who was his chief of staff uh, when he was uh, in the political world, um, I think I might have been the first or second hire he had, and I was uh, designated as a um, as a senior fellow at the Center for Health Transformation. And I helped him uh, understand how to make that work and some of the ideas on healthcare. We talked and back and forth about the need for uh, some sort of reform of the healthcare system uh, long before Obamacare was actually uh, implemented across the country. But Newt and I talked more about free market uh, solutions. Now, I was very heavily involved before Newt really uh, was doing much in terms of um, uh, some of the legislation on health care reform that uh, I was very much involved in, but he, he helped make some introductions to uh, get uh, health reimbursement arrangements um, organized and passed uh, around 2000. But by 2004, Newt was very much involved with the Center for Health Transformation and Ideas for Free Market Solutions, and he was out of office but Newt was very much a favorite of the Republican Party, and I would travel to, even to Washington with him, and he would go into conference meetings and do presentations to them. Uh, and he would walk down the hall, and he was like a, um, a superhero, a superstar, a rock star, because uh, staff, Republican staff knew that it was because of him that they even uh, had any power and control in uh, in the House of Representatives. But in 2004... There was a piece of legislation that got passed that very few people fully understood, and it was part of the Medicare Modernization Act of 2004. But curiously enough, as things work in Washington, it had nothing to do with Medicare. It was health savings accounts. And if you remember back, or you're old enough to remember, or you're political junkie enough to remember, when Newt was Speaker, he passed uh, a rule in the House that said the voting could only go on for 18 minutes. And then it would close because too often in the past, uh, before his leadership, uh, votes could go on indefinitely as uh, House members would come in and go out. They might be out of town. They come in and they could vote to get something passed. Democrats had total and complete control. So votes under Newt, the rule was it had to be 18 minutes. And that was retained even after he left uh, Congress. However, the Medicare Modernization Act brought in prescription drugs to Medicare, and that was a very controversial area because it really didn't have uh, direct funding as it probably should have had. Many Republicans objected to the fact that we were putting in a new benefit but didn't have complete funding for it. So what happened there was that Newt called about 40 conservatives uh, aside, and the Republicans did hold the vote open 
as Newt met with people. Again, he's not a representative. He's not in the House, but people respected his thoughts and opinion. So he pulled them aside and said, listen, guys, when you're working out there in the private market, people have prescription drugs. Medicare does not have prescription drugs. And if you think people are going to work their entire life, have prescription drug coverage, turn 65, come under Medicare, and not have prescription drugs uh, covered, you're on the wrong side of history, and you're going to be voted out of office. And there's nothing like getting a politician's attention and telling them they're likely to be voted out of office. But Newt went one step further. He said, besides, if that still troubles you, there's one piece of legislation in this bill that most people don't fully appreciate. And it's going to change the way health care is financed forever. And it's something called a health savings account or an HSA. And many of you out there today are covered by insurance that has got an HSA. You're putting tax advantage dollars into an HSA account. It accumulates tax-free and you take it out to pay for health care bills tax-free. So it's a triple tax advantage uh, piece of legislation. Well, the group went back and uh, and finished the vote on the Medicare Modernization Act, and it passed by only a few votes. But it passed only because Newt Gingrich was uh, seriously involved in trying to explain how free market health care was going to be advanced under Medicare and that prescription drugs really needed to be covered or those people would be voted out of office because people have been used to Medicare um, had been used to the private market coverage that included prescription drugs, and there was no way that the baby boomers and subsequent generations were going to uh, uh, switch over from private coverage in their employer world to Medicare at age 65 and then not have prescription drugs uh, covered. So Newt was absolutely critical in getting the health savings accounts uh, passed and into legislation. There are so many other stories around the interaction with Newt and his Center for Health Transformation that was very successful in bringing bipartisan ideas. He would bring in speakers that were Republicans and Democrats. I was fortunate enough to speak about uh, health care reform and free market health care reform in front of many of his audiences. So it was a fascinating, uh, unbelievable experience of listening to Newt and his ideas and the research that he did. Uh, the guy is absolutely brilliant, and I am fortunate to have spent many years uh, listening to him, uh, being mentored in some ways uh, by him. Uh, he was so busy and doing so many different things that I was fortunate enough at times to be able to catch him in his office, and we'd sit down and we'd talk about ideas and thoughts. So that's a little bit of the background. Now, what I want to do uh, for the rest of the program today is not talk about some of my personal experiences, which there are still many more. I'd like to go back in time and listen to Newt predict what needs to happen in this country and how we should be moving forward, what areas we should be thinking about. And it comes from a presentation that he made in 2009 to a group of Harvard students, unbelievable Harvard students, and many of the students in the audience were part of the Harvard Republican Party. I'm not sure that's a very big crowd these days, but in 2009, there were um, a couple of thousand that uh, wanted to listen to him and were part of the Harvard Republican Party. So keep in mind, this is Newt Gingrich, an arch conservative that many on the far left would not agree with much of anything he would say or do. 
but he's trying to put together a majority, which is what he did in 1994 of Republicans, Democrats, and independents. So let's listen to what he has to say in 2009 about putting together that kind of a coalition once again, because the partisanship was starting to grow very strongly by 2009. Uh, Republicans and Democrats were fighting. Uh, We had the election of 2000 with um, Al Gore just missing out on the presidency and the Supreme Court ruling that the votes in Florida had to stop and only by a few hundred votes, I think it was 534 votes, that uh, George Bush was elected president. So here's what Newt was trying to do in putting together a workable uh, bipartisan majority. I do want to talk tonight about what I think is a requirement for growing a tripartisan majority for real change. Um, I believe that for us to be successful over the next quarter century, actually over your lifetime, that we have to go through a dramatic level of modernization. And I think to go through that level of modernization, we have to recognize that it can't be done on a partisan red versus blue basis uh, because you'll never get a big enough majority on a stable basis on a purely partisan matter. I think instead you've got to find a way to develop a series of solutions which draw people together uh, and which creates a majority which literally brings together Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. As I listened to that objective of bringing together a tripartisan approach to get things done, uh, Newt was probably right. In order to really accomplish things, we need to get everybody on board and something that everybody has a common interest in and move America forward. And he'll describe a number of areas that he suggests uh, we would be able to do more effectively. But unfortunately, in 2022, where we live now, 13 years after he made Uh, this presentation to the Harvard group, we're even more divided uh, red versus blue. And we're getting legislation passed, like Obama just is about to sign into law, this um, Build Back Better 2.0 that's really an environmental green energy uh, giveaway that passed only because uh, the Congress and the Senate at least is split 50-50, and the vice president cast a tying vote. So no Republicans voted for it in the Senate. No Republicans voted for it in the House. And it got pushed through because of a very vocal minority far left side that seems to be running the Democratic Party. And momentarily, at least, they have control and can pass legislation that even this legislation, the key components of it are are not fully known, appreciated. And uh, the environmental issues rank like number 11 in any survey Uh, in terms of the interest of the general public. So to wrap up this segment of America's Web Radio and Healthcare Insight, let me just say that Newt was right on in terms of the need to bring together a coalition of Republicans, Democrats, and independents to deal with the real issues that the United States uh, is going to face over that next decade. But unfortunately, uh, that didn't happen. But Let's take a quick break, and I want to come back, and I think his other ideas on what to do and what needed to get done with that kind of a coalition uh, still stands, and still stands very strong on what we need to take a look at in terms of our country's policies, our politicians, how they ought to be operating and working with the general public, and also how they could get so removed from the reality of what people are facing 
that we're going to have real problems if we don't bring ourselves uh, into some sort of a broader coalition. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Now that we've had kind of fun, or at least I've had fun recounting some of the uh, stories and uh, interactions I've had with Newt over the many years that we worked together, I want to turn more towards his ideas as he presented in 2009 and see how prescient uh, they were, how important his ideas were, uh, for things that we've either done, we've seen, or should have done. So, Newt, uh, speaking from the 2009 time frame, what are the major ideas that you're talking about that this country needs to face, and then we'll see whether or not we've actually faced them successfully or not? I think for Americans, there are five challenges, and I think these challenges are so fundamental that they will shape, for most of you, the nature of your life over the next 40 to 70 years. First, in the next quarter century, we will have four to seven times as much new science and technology as we had in the last quarter century. That has a profound impact. Second, China and India are real. There really are a billion, 300 million Chinese and over a billion Indians who believe that they have the right to pursue happiness, and they are rolling up their sleeves to come and compete and do just that. Third, the systems of bureaucracy and litigation that we have drifted into simply do not work. The degree to which it doesn't matter what policy you favor because you won't be able to implement it is really horrendous. In addition, we're at the edge of a very powerful cultural conversation about what it means to be American and what are the core values of the civilization. And finally, we have a political structure which is increasingly out of touch with people and which is increasingly driven by values, interest groups, and internal pressures that bear almost no relationship to the process of legitimate self-government. Well, Newt, that's a very interesting list. And certainly since 2009, when you made this presentation, science and technology has expanded even more dramatically. We use it more in our lives to control our lives, to monitor our lives, to monitor our homes, to uh, be on Facebook and Twitter and and Snapchat and TikTok and all those things didn't even exist in 2009. So tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on technology expansion and how that's going to impact our lives. Again, viewing this as our audience listens to this now, this is from his perspective in 2009. There are more scientists alive today than in all of previous human history. Every year they get better computers and better lab instruments. They are connected by cell phone and email. They are then connected to the marketplace by venture capital, licensing, and royalties. The result is 
that we're going to have wave after wave of change. At least, I think, four times as much new knowledge in the next quarter century as the last quarter century, maybe as much as seven times as much new knowledge. 65% of it will come outside the United States. No society in history has attempted to cope with that scale of change and has attempted to assimilate and use that level of new information. And Newt, I think a lot of people hear those words, yeah, change is going to get greater, it's going to get faster, but I don't know that we always fully comprehend it. Can you, in your own unique way, kind of put this in perspective? If we were planning for the future, if we were trying to identify either uh, government policy or business policies in the future, uh, how big a change is it relative to maybe change that we've had historically? From a historic perspective, to put it in context, if you were a planning committee, looking at the United States from now to 2035, and you were trying to plan for four times as much new knowledge, you would be the equivalent of a planning committee in 1880, trying to explain this evening. 1880 is pre-electric light, pre-long distance telephone, pre-automobile, pre-airplane, pre-radio, pre-television, pre-computer, I mean, how would you explain your life to people in 1880 with any hope of them believing you enough to, to do a planning project? And I'm now talking about not 130 years of change. I'm talking about 25. Well, Newt, can you give me a quick example of how this technology can affect even just one area uh, that may just be an indicator of how broad-based this new technology explosion is going to be? Give me one area in healthcare that you think could really have an impact on not just health care, but maybe on budgets and uh, government policy as well. We believe that you're gonna, we will learn far more about the brain than any other single breakthrough in the next quarter century. That has implications for Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for Gehrig's disease. It has implications for mental illness. There's an entire range of areas where if we were aggressively committed, we would have a fundamentally different budget strategy. Let me just take the example of Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is a tremendous threat to the baby boomers and is a, in its current form is a natural component of the process of aging. The current projection is that from now to 2050, the federal government alone will spend around $20 trillion. We have a group of scientists led by three Nobel Prize winners who believe that with the right investments in research, there's a fairly good chance that between sometime around 2020 or 2025, we will have figured out the mechanisms to block Alzheimer's. It won't be technically a vaccine because Alzheimer's is not a virus, but it will have the effect, the equivalent of what Salk and Sabin did for polio. And if we're in a position to block Alzheimer's, there's a possibility that we will save an enormous amount of pain. And we could easily save something on the order of 10 to $12 trillion in federal spending. So what I'm hearing you say, Newt, is that we're going, to have, we're going to have this explosion of technology, but we're not going to be able to properly make governmental investments to actually take advantage of that within our government policies. Explain why not. However, our current budget system doesn't accommodate that. Our current budget system doesn't say, tell me where I should invest resources in order to get to a great future that will change things. Our current budget system says the politicians have this amount of money this year, and they're now going to fight over which scraps go where. 
So we have no long-term strategic ability. And, and the National Institutes of Health are not designed to manage projects like this. Newt, I know there's a lot more you want to say on this first item of expanding technology over the next 25 years. Uh, and you have said that, and that's available to our audience to uh, call up and listen to on YouTube as well. But let's move on to the second item for the moment. We may circle back to some of the additional comments about technology and how the Chinese are using technology advances and making real investments versus the United States' um, lack of being able to re make real investments and plan ahead more than the current year. So let's go on to the second item. What, what did you say that was? Second, I think that it's very important to recognize that for your lifetime, the most important single event will be the modernization of China and India. The fact is they're going to be competitive. The first time really since about 1840 we'll have competitors who are as large as we are economically. And at the present time, I believe they are more rational than we are. I mean, it's truly strange to leave Washington to go to Beijing to hear people talk about practical business approaches to things. Every conversation is about the economy. First of all, because at a practical level, they are faced with uh, having to create 24 million jobs a year just to break even. That's the population increase plus migration influence from the countryside. And I thought to myself, as I listened to the ideologically driven arguments in Washington, isn't it fascinating to have the Chinese trying to teach themselves how to be pragmatic, market-oriented realists, trying to do what will actually work as we become more and more central planners, more and more bureaucratic, and more and more committed to ideological belief systems? So, Newt, turn that into an example that might drive home to everybody listening to this program how important that rise of China and their economic approach, their practical approach, not just centralized government, but actually figuring out ways to use communist control, but to have marketplace ideas that are business oriented uh, to solve problems and create long term solutions for the country. How does that affect us? What is it you have to do? What does your country have to do to compete in a world which is going to have China and India? I believe it means you have to reform litigation, regulation, taxation, education, health, energy, and infrastructure. First, that that scale of change cannot occur at the White House. That there are 513,000 elected officials in the United States, and it has to occur at all 513,000, from school board and city council and county commission through state legislature to Washington. Second, that... It has to be tripartisan. That if you're really serious about that scale of change over the next 20 or 30 years, you have to find a way to bring people together, and you have to find a way to build a general consensus, because you'll never get that done on a narrowly partisan basis. Newt, those are fascinating ideas, obviously very important. But let's move on to your third item and give us a little bit more detail about it. The third point I'd make for you to really think deeply about it, so the bureaucracies just don't work, and the litigation system doesn't work. The system of implementation is broken. The State Department is filled with procedures that were terrific 45 years ago and now exist in a world of, 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 of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and cell phones and email and the president picking up the phone to call the president of the country, the ambassador. We have no current, we have no modernized pattern of diplomacy. 
to fit the way the world really works. And this is true at every level. It's, it's amazing how much we've allowed ourselves to decay. Well, Newt, I know you said there were five areas and you've covered three. I don't know how much time we have in this segment, but give us an insight a little bit to the fourth challenge that this generation has, and then we'll probably carry over into the next segment uh, more details on the fourth challenge. The fourth challenge is a cultural conversation. I'm going to give you a very simple example, and I really do believe this is at the heart of who we are, and I'm going to give you two or three quick examples so you understand what I mean. This is much deeper and more profound than what we think of as politics. I'm going to give you half of an equation and see if you can guess the other half. If you can't afford to buy a house, so, I mean, this, is very, this is central to the future of the country, but what would you say is the second half of that equation? How many of you would agree, if you can't afford to buy a house, don't buy a house? Now, no, you've lived in a country which for a quarter century has said, if you can't afford to buy a house, we will find a way to get you a house that will not require you to have any credit, will not require you to have any money down, will not require you to pay any principal for three years, will provide you with a below, a below market mortgage rate. Uh, oh, and by the way, once you move into the house, you'll discover one morning that you have to fix the roof or you have to fix the electricity or you have to fix the plumbing and you won't have any money. But that's all right, because after all, we mean well, and it's not our fault that you can't afford a house. And then one morning when you actually have to start paying principal and you have to actually start paying a real market rate, you'll lose the house because actually, you know, you can't afford to buy a house. And that'll be a personal tragedy for you, unless, of course, we talk a million of you into doing it, in which case it will be a tragedy for all of us. Newt, that's not only a funny example in a lot of ways, but it's a very profound example about how our country has gone down this road of trying to provide from cradle to grave and not using real logic about how a country should run, how government should pay for things that are necessary, but not pay for everything for people just because uh, we think we can or we should. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back for the final segment and more interesting ideas and thoughts and stories from Speaker Newt Gingrich. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. 
You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are looking back a couple of decades to a presentation made by uh, now uh, former speaker Newt Gingrich, and he is talking about things need to change in our country uh, from a period of time around 2008-2009, and he's identifying critical issues that this country, this the people need to face and he's now talking about cultural issues that need to be changed. And we see so much of that today in 2022. But he's talking about it from more than 10 years ago. And he's trying to show there's a mindset in this country uh, that carries over into the political realm. But it's not really a political issue as much as it is a cultural issue that he's talking about in our mindset on how we use our wealth of this country to help people who are less fortunate or people who have not put in uh, the effort to improve their lives or they're happy with the lives that they've chosen and their economic status. But as a country, we have certain mentalities on what we're going to do and what we're going to allow. So he's given an example uh, in the earlier segment. And now I want to talk him about a second example uh, related to school. So Newt, uh, give us that second example of how our mindset has to change, not just our politics. Right. Let me give you a second example. How many of you would agree that a the, the, the primary measure of a school should be whether or not the children in the school learn? Very important question here. Okay. How many of you would like to go to the 10 worst schools in Boston and find out whether or not the children are learning? And when you went to the 10 worst schools in Boston, you'd find out that, in fact, the primary purpose of those schools is not for the children to learn. Anyone want to guess what the primary purpose of those schools is? To pay the people who are in the building. And the schools work perfectly. They get paid regularly. They're relatively happy. They go home. They don't understand what the complaint is. They were there. Maybe a simple example. In almost every big city, there's a huge amount of absenteeism. And we have no idea how big it is because the records are so bad and there's such paper-based records, nobody has a clue. Now, by contrast, there are worldwide 37,000 McDonald's. So you go to McDonald's, you buy a cup of coffee, they ring it up. That night, every store on the planet reports its sales. Now imagine, we had a, here's a simple system. You give every teacher in every school in America a BlackBerry. On that BlackBerry, they load every student. Every hour, they record who's there and they send the signal. Every hour, we have an accurate count of who's attending and who isn't. We only pay for the ones who are there. You just had a revolution in attendance because you suddenly changed everything. Newt, your background as a teacher allows you to give examples like that that clearly drive home a point that reaches the attention of an audience that maybe otherwise gets lost in some of the minutia of laws and regulations, and you point out things that are so obvious it's it's hard for anybody to miss it. Um, can you give us one more example 
of how culture needs to change or that is changing before our eyes. We don't fully know or recognize what's happening in this country uh, because it's so subtle or it's happening uh, while we're all working and raising families and having kids. Give us give us a third example, please. I'll give you one last one. That When the Ninth Circuit Court ruled that it was unconstitutional to say one nation under God, I decided that it was such an idiotic and un-American decision that as a historian I wanted to engage. And so I wrote a book called Rediscovering God in America. And you will see the Declaration of Independence, which says we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, this means in the leading political document of the United States, you cannot explain historically what the founding fathers thought they were doing unless you explain the word creator, which, of course, the Ninth Circuit Court would have a heart attack over. Because it turns out, what did the founding fathers mean? It's actually a very profound statement about America. This is the only society in the world that says power comes from God to each of you personally. You are endowed with inalienable rights. No politician, no bureaucrat, no lawyer, no judge. You are endowed. You are sovereign. You loan power to the state, which is why our second great founding document says, we, the people of the United States. Now, people who are committed ideologically to a secular description of America promptly say, well, that Jefferson can't have meant creator because we all know that Jefferson actually was a deist and didn't believe in God. And Jefferson wrote the letter to the Danbury Baptist saying there has to be a wall of separation. So there has to be some other meaning. Well, that is an entire history as a historian. That's just total baloney. Jefferson wrote the Danbury Baptist and said there shouldn't be an established church paid for by the taxpayer. That's what the phrase meant in that period. Two days after he wrote that, he personally got in his carriage, rode from the White House to the Capitol, and went to church in the U.S. House of Representatives. For his entire eight years, he loaned the Treasury Building to be used as a church because there weren't enough big buildings in Washington in that period. And in Jefferson's original language, it says the following. Religion, morality, and knowledge being indispensable. We should have schools. Because Jefferson would tell you, if you don't have a school that creates character, it doesn't matter that they learn how to read. Now, that's antithetical to our whole current education establishment. So we need a national dialogue. We need a dialogue that says 2 plus 2 equals 4. You shouldn't spend more than you've got. You had better save enough to invest. We need a dialogue that says Social Security better be rethought so that the younger generation isn't bankrupt. We need a dialogue that says, how are you going to get to a less expensive, more effective health system? We need a dialogue that says, every school that isn't teaching effectively should change tomorrow morning. Because every day it doesn't change, we destroy children, and they end up in jail instead of in college. Now, that's a dialogue that is cultural, not political, because its core values are at the heart of the system. I want our audience to remember that this is Newt Gingrich in 2008, 2009 speaking. And the issues and the problems that he's identifying are ones that we still have today and we haven't solved because we haven't gotten together that tripartisan agreement on how we solve some of these basic problems. And we overlook them because we're solving what seems to be a moment of crisis, but we haven't taken the chance, the time for this country to actually face some of the issues that he's talking about that are actually at the core of what could be 
the resolution and solution to the problems that we're facing culturally that we're seeing exacerbated today. So let's go on to the fifth and final item that Newt is suggesting needs to be changed. Newt, what is that last item? The last point I want to make is this political system is broken, and it's very, very dangerous. The city of Sacramento does not reflect the people of California. We just had a referendum in California on raising taxes and spending. 64% of the citizens voted no. Every congressional district, including Nancy Pelosi's, voted no. Nobody's yet written the shame of the cities. Nobody's yet gone out and become muckrakers. But the sickness of this system is unbelievable. Albany is a city owned by the Service Employees International Union. Governors preside at the permission of the SEIU. But governors have almost no power in Albany. And increasingly, that's what's happening in Washington. You have a system in New Jersey where one candidate has public financing and the other candidate has $600 million of personal wealth. This is, this is a very fundamental problem. And it's beginning to affect Washington in very deep ways. The bill was reported out of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee two months ago. It was not filed. In the interim, it has been changed in substantial ways. One amendment adopted 21 to 0 disappeared. And staffs are just rewriting legislation. A $787 billion stimulus package passes with no elected member having read it. Had no idea it was in it. We recently had a U.S. senator uh, from Delaware explain very candidly, you can see it on YouTube, that it would be silly to try to read the health bill because he couldn't possibly understand it. Let me suggest to you, if the people you elect can't understand the bills, this is exactly like the bankers who said, we really invested in, in all of those derivatives, which we never really quite understood, but the really smart computer people told us they were really fine, so we're really shocked to discover they're not fine, because it can't be our fault, because we didn't understand what we were doing. And that's what we're going through. This is a very fundamental crisis of this system, because it isn't responsive. Well, I hope our audience listening to this recognizes how accurate and appropriate and on target Newt was about the bureaucratic state. The deep state, as we're calling it these days, is taking over, rewriting legislation, being uh, weaponized from the CIA to the DOJ. So it's not just the normal bureaucracy that's taking control. Our politicians have very little influence now of what's actually being proposed and implemented uh, by the bureaucrats and other parts of our government. So it's gotten worse, but Newt is right. It should have been addressed a decade ago, and it still even more so needs to be addressed today. So, Newt, give us another example uh, in your sort of uh, professorial way of explaining how bad this really can be. I'll give you a very simple example. The day after I was sworn in as speaker, we launched the Thomas system. You know, you can go online for free. You don't, no lobbyist, no trade association, and you can pull up the legislation. So the new answer is don't file it. Because if you file it, they'll know what's in it. I mean, if they had simply filed the stimulus package online, there would have been 60,000 volunteer analysts taking it apart in the next hour. And so one of the provisions I'm recommending we adopt is that no bill can be, can be marked up in committee until it's available online. 
No amendment can be offered until it's available online. No bill can be brought to the floor until it's available online. And no conference report can be brought for vote until it's online. So that the entire country gets to participate in the process of legislation. If you applied that to every city council, every county commission, every state legislature, every school board, you would begin to have a genuine revolution in transparency. Now, it's not technically hard. But those who have power don't particularly want to share it with the rest of us. And I think this is an example of the kind of tripartisan reform that will eventually be demanded by virtually every American because they'll just get sick of watching the interest groups run over the country. Well, there you have it, audience. Some thoughts from Speaker Newt Gingrich more than 10 years ago on issues that he said need to be resolved. I believe he was right on target. Those things need to be addressed Most of them have not been addressed and, in fact, only have been exacerbated, particularly the last two items, if not more, uh, where he's talking about the cultural issues that we're disassociating faith and religion and spirituality, if you will, from schools and from education. And that was part of our founding documents. And I've done uh, radio programs on those beginning uh, principles that our country was founded on using religion and faith and morality uh, to create a foundation for a prosperous country. And the last area, our political system being broken, I think we can all see that even more today in 2022 than what Newt was even talking about in 2008, 2009. The system has to be changed, that we need to be changed, and let's continue this dialogue in future weeks on this America's Web Radio program because it is so critical uh, to our country. So join us again next week for another uh, radio program on the politics and the policies of our country, both domestic and foreign. I appreciate your attention. I appreciate you liking this program and sending in any messages or comments that you can to make it even better. But we will see you again next week. Thank you. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.